Hey, I'm David Cantle, and today on Seeking Wisdom, we're going to talk about product teams and specifically why Waterfall and Agile just don't work anymore. All right, so we're going to talk about uh, how you think a modern product team needs to work today. But before we dive into that, let's kind of set this up with the why. So everybody's been, there's been plenty of successful businesses that have been built on things like Waterfall and Agile. Um, why do you think things need to change? You know, I hate, uh, I grew up in the, in the age of Waterfall and Agile. And I think those methods were great for a certain period of time. But the w- reason I think uh, businesses need to change the way they do this today is that the world has changed. Right, all of the products and services that we create today are ultimately connected with the customer. Right, everything is whether it's the Internet of Things, whether it's you know, uh, you know, web software or mark or mobile software. Like everything that we're building from in software is somehow connected directly to the end users using the product. And so the way that we build software should change to reflect that fundamental change. I mean, even if you do something like you buy a Tesla. Something's broken in the car. You don't have to go like send back your car. They can ship a new update. It's not, it's not 20, 30 years ago where you spend months and months building something, ship it, see if people use it, and then iterate. Absolutely. And so the Tesla is the perfect example of uh, how the world has changed. That is a software platform now. And that's one of the most exciting things about that car is waking up every morning and seeing what updates have been rolled out to the car. It's magical. All right, so you went to HubSpot, so you were at Performable, went to HubSpot, and, and through those experiences, you, you kind of switched uh, and moved away from those traditional models. And uh, the solution is, I guess you'd call it this customer-driven model. Um, and that's, that's kind of the basis of like how, you're, how you're thinking about product teams today. So I want to talk through some of those. The first one is about all about having small teams, um, units, not having these big divisions. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the makeup of that team? Yeah, so I think, you know, the important thing is that we wanted to create an environment where we wanted to work in, where, you know, we were founders, we were used to work, having a lot of autonomy and freedom, and we wanted to create uh, an environment where we would love to work. And because of the way the world has changed, uh, the best people out there have the most options today, and so you need to create an environment like this. So the way we set out with small was to base the model around small teams. And at the beginning, we just chose, I just chose uh, three-person engineering teams. And when I did, all the engineers uh, grumbled and said, why three, why not five, what's your logic, what's the... And I said, I just made it up. Let's just go with three. And then it's arbitrary, and then we can change it later if it doesn't work. Over time, I kept messing with the model and tried to expand it and and contract it, and uh, and then always found that three was this kind of magical number. And the reason that I think it worked is that three was, you know, big enough for you to take on a substantial challenge as a team, but small enough that you didn't have to feel like you always had to keep up with what was going on with your team. And so the process was really, the process like overhead was really low, and like. The model for three engineers was one tech lead, and that was the lead of the team, and then two engineers, whether they were back-end or front-end engineers, uh, but those two engineers reported to the tech lead. And by keeping it 
small size, the tech leads never grew into full-time managers. They spent 80 to 90% of their time coding. And these three-person teams would take on products that were, you know, that they were competing against entire industries, entire massive uh, teams. And these three-person engineering teams could take on that challenge. So where where does the uh, like product manager and designer fit with these with these teams? Yeah, that's everyone's favorite question. Like as soon as I mentioned the three person engineering team, they <laughs> said, "What about PMs? Yeah. What about designers? Yeah, and, what about and, this?" And I'll, I'll lead you and say, like, talk about the shift in the traditional PMs job and then what their job is. In this yeah, model. the way that we saw the model working and the way that we've made it work is that the product is run by engineering teams. Right, so it's an engineering-led organization. And so in a typical environment, you would have a PM who would take on a product manager who would take on typical product management tasks but would inevitably kind of regress into doing a lot of project management work for the engineers. And so whether that was creating bugs or creating lists or creating processes or Gantt charts or this or that, whatever they were doing, like they were off creating all this process overhead uh, for the engineers, you know, in order to help the engineering team scale. But what we did was have the engineering teams own the solution. And that included how they built the product, whether they were focused on bugs, new features, what have you, but also how they wanted to project manage that product. And the product manager owned the customer. And they owned working with the designer and getting out in front of the engineering team and iterating and prototyping and getting feedback from the customers. Um, the biggest shift here is, is other than the teams being small, is that the resources on the, those product manager and designer, they have to be embedded. That yes. was, seemed to be one of the, the bigger learnings. Absolutely. So what we did was make sure that the, when a team owned a product that was a three-person engineering team, but it also included a product manager, um, who was usually shared across multiple engineering teams um, and into what we called a family. So a bunch of products that were uh, kind of similar in, in, the cust- in the customer type that they were aiming to solve. And, um, and then the designer was dedicated as well and dedicated to that team. And so in that way, you had a dedicated PM, dedicated designer, and then a three-person engineering team. And we even extended this to have a dedicated product marketing manager who worked with each of those teams, actually sat with those teams. Like all these people, the PM, the PMM, the designer, and the three-person engineering teams always sat together in kind of a pod. So instead of like this agency model where all of the non-engineers basically think about this 25, I'm a designer, yep. I have four clients, and mm-hmm. I think of each of them, this is, you're 100% in. You're 100% dedicated, you're sitting next to the people on your team, uh, you're overhearing conversations that are happening, and you know exactly what is going on, and then jumping in to try to solve problems that you see emerging versus waiting for those problems to be bubbled up to you uh, in a meeting or through some other high overhead kind of process. So we're going to do a whole another dedicated episode on uh, this topic, but this is the key thing that makes this whole model work seems to be uh, ownership and freedom. So outside of it being small, having freedom and having ownership over the things that you're doing is seems to be the glue of this whole model. Yeah, that was always the glue and the goal, right? The goal was to increase the amount of ownership, freedom, and autonomy that the teams had. And it was also the glue that made this whole thing work. And the reason that it 
made the entire thing work was that it allowed the people closest to the problem to come up with the solutions and test those solutions with the actual customer, right? Like those people on the team are spending most, more time with the customer than anyone else in the company, more than the executive team, more than the CEO of the company. And so they have the right perspective in solving this problem and measuring whether they actually solve the problem. So you shouldn't have to wait weeks to get, if you see a problem and find a solution, you shouldn't have to wait weeks to get that out to customers. There's no release cycles. There's no long planning. You just do it. Yeah, we, you have no long planning cycles, no roadmaps, no version numbers. Your goal is to amaze customers every single day. And we looked at the metrics, you know, for each of the teams to make sure that they were always on that track. And so... Uh, when a problem emerged, the team would go on and jump on it and deal with that problem. In a typical environment, you would have to wait for that problem to bubble up through a lot of overhead and, and process and then bubble back down after someone decided that this was a problem. Right? This allowed the teams to really be agile and uh, really handle these problems. And the results were, were pretty real like this wasn't just something that sounded nice i think you said that um the hubspot the the product team had the highest employee nps out of all the other teams like this actually had an impact on how people were were feeling at work and productivity wise oh yeah that's the the most amazing part of of all of this was just looking at the results that it drove and uh you know hubspot and you know now drift are super high performance uh, cultures, and so there's not much tolerance for things that don't work, even though they sound nice. And so uh, the proof was in the results, and that was the results that we were seeing directly from customers, but also the results we were seeing within the team themselves. We always had this model of measuring employee NPS, so how happy they were at work. And uh, over time, we saw that the product team's ENPS became the highest within the company uh, by, you know, by a considerable margin. And the uh, retention of the product team was you know, off the charts. And uh, during the last you know, four years, it's been a super, um, I don't want to say frothy, but super, uh, super high growth time where you know, every engineer on the planet has a million offers, every designer has a million offers, and we were able to have incredible retention by employing this model. Yeah, I think there's a stat that's like the average uh, tenure of a Google employee is 1.1 years or something like that. That's amazing. We have most of that team uh, that we assembled and and created under this model is still at HubSpot, so they're coming up on you know four years plus. So uh, let's. So Drift is an earlier stage company. Um, this is something that. You know, this is a new model here because the team is new. If if, if you're a founder that's listening or, or somebody else, how do you apply this to your company? Like, how did you start this at Drift? Is it just you break off a piece and and start there? How how do you apply this to to your company? Well, doing it at Drift is easy because we're starting from scratch, or easier, I should say. It's never quite easy. And so, if you're a company that just if you're a recent startup or a company about to start, uh, um, Taking on this model is pretty simple for you to do, and uh, it won't be easy, but it'll be simple, right? The, the best things are always simple, but not easy to implement. I'd say the, the places that you'd have a lot of challenge are at larger companies, because larger companies already have models that they uh, are used to. And, um, and, you know, 
honestly, I don't think many large companies uh, will ever take on a model this way because it's always easier for them to keep pushing on the status quo. And that is usually a top-down command and control method. And so I don't think any of them will be ready for this kind of thing. They kind of look at, you know, what we're doing and how we build teams and all they see are the things on the surface. They see the bean bags and the, you know, uh, graffiti on the wall and the, the music playing in the office and the hammocks and all that kind of stuff. And then they say, all right, I need to get myself a hammock and I need to get myself a bean bag. And if I get that, then teams will be productive. But they're missing the point. They're missing the, the thing that actually makes it work, which is giving these teams the freedom and the people on your team the, the the freedom and responsibility for amazing customers every day, right? And you as kind of the uh, CEO or some of the leaders within the company getting out of the way and doing everything you can to support those individuals on your team. It's uncomfortable. It's probably not where you're used to, but it's the way that innovative companies have to work today.